Intentionally Growing. I'm your host, Brian Willey, along with my co-host, John Kesselring. Episode 68 features the head coach of Woodbury High School, Andy Hill. Coach Hill will teach us the basic philosophy, concepts, and terminology of the Woodbury spread offense. And we will also discuss timeline implementation, building your playbook, maximizing your athletes' talents, and the formation and run schemes that comprise the Woodbury spread. This season, Intentionally Grounded is partnering with First Down Playbook. For coaches looking for a playbook software that is user-friendly and can deliver the clarity necessary to share and communicate your scheme with coaches and players alike, check out First Down Playbook. For more information, check out their website at firstdownplaybook.com. And for our listeners of our show, enter the code IGFB20 when purchasing individual or program memberships to receive a discount at checkout. Again, that code is IGFB20. Don't forget to check out our website at igfootballcoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. And check out our newly released YouTube channel that houses the video cast version of our podcast episodes as well, along with additional content related to leadership, football, and coaching development. Season 3, Episode 18, with Coach Andy Hill, starts now. Uh, okay, let's just get into it here. Uh, I always introduce our school because, you know, especially when you're speaking not in Minnesota, people don't know who you are, what you are. And um, we've got about 1,900 kids at our school. Uh, we've been pretty consistent with our numbers. We haven't seen a drop uh, like, like you hear about in the media. And I think we do some things in our program to try to make it fun and exciting. We play our ninth and 10th grade games in our stadium at night under the lights with the concession stands. And uh, if I'm not announcing, we'll have an announcer on the scoreboard. And we try to make it exciting so those kids want to stay in the program. But probably the biggest news in our program is Woodbury's been around for about 45 years. And we won a state championship in 1998, but we've never been outright conference champions uh, and it, until 2018. And we were in 2018, and we repeated last year in 2019. So uh, we're excited about that. We're hoping that's kind of going to build some momentum as we move into the 2020s. Uh, this is just me. I kind of mentioned some of these things. My family, uh, I wrote a couple books. Uh, they're not bestsellers. So it was more so me trying to get information to the parents um, in our youth organization that I thought if I'm going to put all this together, I can make it so they can come back and get it um, year after year. Or, or the recruiting handbook, I think, has been really pretty strong uh, for helping people, especially with this whole um, coronavirus thing going around and college coaches not being able to come out. I think it's a helpful tool for families to know what they're trying to do. All right. Um, I always hit on this too about why we coach. You know, the picture on the left is after we secured our second straight conference championship. Kids are excited. I know it's fun and I know they play the game to win. And sometimes we can kind of get caught up in that as coaches. But the picture on the right is uh, the, one of the first basketball games of the year. The, the little kid on the left is my six year old son, Noah, and he's holding the hand of my uh, senior captain. And we lost in the first round of the playoffs this year. And it was really, really tough to get over. Not so much because we lost, but we had a great senior class. We love those kids. They love coming to practice. They, you know, they're, they're the group that you really love to coach. They challenge you to be better every day. And we had designs on making it all the way to U.S. Bank Stadium. And we were a three seed, easily could have been a one seed. And I don't know if we, we – we don't think that we took our opponent lightly, but we came on, we just played average, and we lost. I think it was 21 to 17, and, and that's how quick it ends. And so the picture on the left you think is what it's all about. And a month after we lost, I go to the game. I can't find my kid. He's pretty comfortable at the school, and he's running around. And after about 10 minutes at this basketball game, not being able to find him, I thought, you know, I should go look for him. And lo and behold, there he is standing holding one of my, my players' hands. And it's just, you know, that's really why we coach to build young men. 
And it's a buzzword in coaching today. I think a lot of coaches say it, but they don't mean it. And uh, I've even gotten away from it at times. But this was kind of a big reminder to me that, you know, we are making an impact, even if we're not playing in U.S. Bank Stadium. All right, so just to dive right into it with our uh, spread offense, this is kind of what we have come down to is what are we really trying to get out of what we, what we do? Uh, you know, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but back in the early 2000s, Woodbury went to the double wing, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust, uh, and the program got down to 38 kids, grades 9 through 12, playing football. And obviously that's not what we want. And uh, then Coach Labor came in, and he kind of built the program back up. And then I came in starting in the fall of 2011. And when I was out east, we kind of developed this idea of having a spread offense simply because we wanted to, to make defenses have to defend the entire field. You know, we had a couple of really good players, and I'm just of the belief that if you've got an outstanding player, he's only going to be made better if you've got other weapons on the field with him, if that makes some sense. So I could have a running back and give him 35 carries and he'll run for 185 yards. I think if you make everybody else around him better, he can have 18 carries and still run for 185 yards, but maybe he'll run for 235 yards because now, you know, the defense has to defend the entire field rather than focusing on one guy. That leads you right into the, the second point here, which is we want to have our the kids who can do something with the football touch the football. And so the last couple of years, we haven't been great at throwing the ball, so we've been more of a spread-to-run team with our, our running back and our quarterback getting a number of carries. But you'll see two or three of our receivers touch the ball five to eight times a game, whether it's on a jet sweep when we bring them in motion, whether it's a screen, whether it's quick game. Because, again, we want to keep them having to defend the entire field, and we think our kids can do something with the ball when we get it in their hands. Uh, for us, balance is not 50-50. We don't need to be half run, half pass. Like I said, the last couple of years, we've been a heavier run team, but we get balanced by a couple of things. One, we want to be able to throw it when we can throw it and be able to run it when we need to run it. Uh, and then by spreading it out, that also gives us the balance that we're looking for. In our film review, we try to look at – and. My wide receivers coach always says we want to, quote, club the baby seal. And he got that from a clinic somewhere. But um, I'm an animal lover, so I don't want to beat a seal to death. But his idea is we're going to find the player uh, looks like he's out of position. He's missed or uh, we'll track personnel for three or four games leading up. And if all of a sudden the game right before ours, we see a different kid playing, uh, we want to take a close look. Now, maybe he's a, a better player who's been uh, coming back from injury or been suspended who's back. Uh, but most of the time, it's usually that there's been an injury at the end of the last game. And so you've got a new kid on the field. So we want to, to make sure that we know that so we can take advantage of it. We don't go uh, no huddle. Again, I think Oregon is a phenomenal football program. I think a lot of high schools have tried to emulate that, them and Auburn. And uh, we fell into that mindset, too, for about, I don't know, two months in the summer, I think, three years ago. And it just got to the point where it wasn't helping us. We were moving too fast. We weren't uh, being very disciplined. We weren't being very uh exact in our execution and we thought you know what we're to just go fast for the purpose of going fast isn't going to help so instead we jump in and out of tempo so we may huddle up uh, for two plays and then go three plays where we call it on the line we might get up and freeze and then and signal a plane from the sideline so we and i'll talk about this a little bit more later but we wanted to get to tempo where we were the ones who controlled it rather than feeling like we had to you know just go 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 or be slow we kind of want to bury it up and about the last five years, we've had some, some pretty talented uh, quarterbacks as far as their mental game. You know, they, they're good athletes. 
uh, who know what to do. They, they know how to process their reads. And what this really does is it keeps us from having a, a terrible play. We still have bad plays. We still have bad turnovers like everybody else. But, you know, if, if we're supposed to run stretch right, and there are seven defenders to our right, we've got a built-in read for our quarterback to be able to get us out of that play without having it make too much of a, uh, of a change to, to everybody on the field. So I'll show you some of those when we get into the film clips. Uh, when I gave this presentation, uh, like I said, it was the first of three parts, and we, we want to spend this part time on how do we build it. So here's what it looks like for us as we kind of get through the offseason with our coaching staff. Our banquet is normally the first weekend in December uh, on a Sunday, and so when that leaves, I actually don't have any problem with coaches taking time off. A number of my coaches coach basketball. I coach girls basketball this year, but trust me, that was a one-year deal, uh, and I'm done. <laughs> but um, – you know, this is just kind of a time for them to get in and, and feel, you know, or see how they feel about how the year went. What did they like? What didn't we like? I'm sure you guys are the same way. You find that all of a sudden you've got, you know, three plays. You worked on a ton in practice and you ran it once all season long. So we've got to come back and say, hey, is that something we need to keep or we need to let go? We also like to take a look at what's going on in our weight program. You know, we think that we, we make a lot of progress in January and February. We actually – we open it up for kids to start in December if they want to, but we don't start taking attendance until January and February. We reward attendance. If kids come to 85% of their workouts, uh, they're guaranteed to make the dress list for the varsity in the, in the fall. Uh, and we do some individual stuff as well. So coming the end of February, we've got a pretty good idea. I'll have a big staff meeting in February, and we'll kind of talk about you know where we're at, where we're going. I also do my parent meetings in at the end of February. I do a rising ninth grader meeting. I do a state of the program meeting. So we kind of want to have an idea as to what we're thinking about for our offense by that point in time. Uh, and we're already in this process here in March of trying to put together our playbook uh, for this next year. And uh, I really don't. And it changes from year to year. We've got our core tenants, but uh, you know, I'm not a huge believer, especially at the high school level where we don't get to go recruit the kids we want to have in our program. Uh, that you need to make sure that your offense matches the talent and the kids that you have. You know, asking kids who are great runners to, to throw the ball 40 times, uh, I don't think that's fair and I don't think it's good for the program. And so I know that there are some coaches who've got great systems, and I guess our system would be we kind of stick to the principles and then we adjust our plays based on what we have. Uh, and we'll try to get the playbook put together. Uh, also, the time where normally we're coming back from a lot of clinics. Uh, a few of the ones we're going to go to this year have been canceled amidst this this sickness thing. So um, we got guys watching clinics on, on websites. Uh, in May, we'll finalize the playbook. In Minnesota, we're allowed to um, connect with our kids starting on June 1st at midnight. We like to get guys together and distribute our, our playbook. We'll set up at the school. Now, I don't know if this will happen this year or not. We probably have about two-thirds of our kids come through and pick it up. It's exciting, kind of build some uh, momentum into the summer. I think team camp in July. I know a lot of schools do it in June because they want to get out to South Dakota State or Augustana or some of these college team camps, and, and that's a legitimate reason. For me, I do it in July because I want it to be as close to the start of our season as possible. So we do it at the end of July. The idea is that we, we hope that kids will retain uh, what we do. Last year, I think we had 113 kids in our summer team camp, and we had 126 come out for football. So that lets us really hit the ground running some of our base formations, our base run, our base – at least our base quick game pass is installed. Uh, and then we just kind of build on prior knowledge when we, get, when we start um, football, the, the real season in August. So that, that's the hope for July. Picture on the right is we have a big cookout at the end.
And we, we do hold our camp at night. We do it under the lights. We try to not conflict with baseball too much, but we're flexible. We don't, there's no penalty if a kid has to miss a night, but it's just fun. I think so many times these kids only get a certain number of days under the lights in the stadium that we try to, to make that be part of what we do. All right, so when it comes to us putting together the playbook, we need to look at who we think we've got coming back. You know, every year, like a lot of schools, we'll have some kids show up, and then we'll have a kid decide not to play, or a kid will come out and we think that he's more advanced than he is. And so when we get going uh, in team camp, maybe he's not that kid for us. But And I'm not going to read these to you, but the idea is that, that we want to line up what we plan to run in terms of our, our kind of paired concepts, our, our run game with our play act or our formations with our uh, drop back stuff. And it's got to match who we've got, you know. Traditionally at Woodbury, we've got one or two really strong uh, offensive linemen. Uh, I've got a kid coming back next year who I think is the best center in the state. He's dominant, but he's going to be around uh, – he's going to have a lot of new kids with him, a lot of 10th and 11th graders. Next time I think we we'll have one other starter coming back. Uh, and so with that, if we were going to just, you know, if I wanted us to get in and, and run people over, we would probably struggle with that. So we, we want to have a, a thinner box. We want to have them play with five guys in the box, six guys in the box, and we need to be able to run the ball when they do that. If they start putting seven in the box, we need to be able to throw it. And I know that's pretty uh, standard for most people, but then we want to design what we do based on who we have. So, for example, for 2020, I've got six kids who got reps in the varsity level at receiver coming back. Uh, I didn't lose any senior wide receivers. I had some defensive guys that came over and played receiver sometimes, but I've got a lot of kids who have been there before. So I've got a lot of receivers that are coming back. I don't have a ton of linemen that are coming back. So uh, we're going to need to be able to throw the ball uh, a little bit more. Uh, some questions that we have to consider, I'm not sure about every other school, but I would imagine this is pretty standard, is that we generally, other than the quarterback position, we let our defense take first choice. Uh, for 2020, one of the kids that started for us on defense last year might be our quarterback this year, so that will obviously limit them a little bit more on what they do. And uh, if we need to have two-way players, how do we do that? You know, I, I, for about four or five years, we got in the process of going through the summer, and we go offense first and then defense, and so it, it wasn't that big of a deal to have you know, the, these kids go two ways full time, but our numbers are good enough that we don't need to do that. And we would go into the season and then all of a sudden, you know, your starting fullback who's also your starting inside linebacker is gassed after being on, on the series on, on defense for, you know, seven or eight plays. And now you got to go with your backup fullback, but he only got 25% of the reps during the practice week. So we try to really kind of map that out. What's it look like? You know, if we have a two way guy, what exactly do we want him to do on his, you know, if he's mainly a defensive guy, what exactly do we want him to do on offense? Or if he's an offensive guy, what exactly do we need him to do on defense? And then plan our practices so that we know when we're sharing them, uh, so we know what we're doing. All right. Oh, and I should come back to this. We added a little bit of a just straight up inside veer. It's not really a spread concept. We run it out of the spread, but we hit a playoff game where it's kind of that wet, nasty snow on a grass field. And we were okay enough up front, but we, we I think we lost 13 to nothing or something. We threw a pick six on the last play of the game. So it's a closed game, but we couldn't do anything running the ball. And so we want to add something so that if we're playing in sloppy weather in the snow, that we would be okay. So here's how we uh, make people defend the entire field. I'm just kind of going to kind of go for how, how we build it. We want to be on the top or the bottom of the numbers with our outside receivers. 
who we're really trying to put in conflict with the outside linebackers. If, like I said, we want to have a thin box, if we want to put those outside linebackers in conflict, then they have to be able to get to the slot receiver for us. If they can't, we need to be able to throw it out there. When we struggled last year, uh, it was because teams figured out that we our release wasn't really quick enough that they could, if we were throwing bubble or we were checking to it, they could cheat the box and still get out there in time to, to not give them a big play. Um, so that's something that we're working on now. Uh, a couple years ago and years before that, we had a real quick release, and so it was pretty effective for us. But they're either in the box or out of the box. That's what we're trying to do with our formations. I've got some uh, screenshots coming up here. So we use a lot of 11 personnel, but with that 11 personnel, our tight end is more of an H-back, and we can move him all over the field. He plays a little bit of traditional tight end, but for the most part, we move him around. Uh, to counter that, so we've also got our 10 personnel stuff here where our Y would be our H-back, and we use him as an outside receiver. You know, we kind of got in the Gus Malzahn, Oregon Ducks, you know, hurry up, fly up, have hand signals, get on the ball, and go. And it made us a, a worse football team. And luckily for us, we discovered this in July <laughs> with the number of mistakes we were making uh, with our first offense against our probably fourth defense. And so with that, we sat down as a, an offensive staff. We said, you know, we need to be real honest about this. Is it really to our advantage if it's going to limit what we do? We can really only, you know, line up and run the same player. We line up and run zone. Like it, if we, if we got to chop most of our offense down, is it really going to help us? Uh, as much and no huddle is great but if you're three and out no huddle you may have taken up depending on how much you throw it you know anywhere from 30 seconds to a minute and a half and then your defense is back on the field so we didn't want to not use tempo but, but we really kind of we, we reframed how we thought about tempo we want to be able to run multiple formations getting lots of kids the ball and we still want to be able to motion and shift and we still want to ask our quarterbacks to make simple reads and that that list kind of starts to pile up if you uh, aren't careful. And so we really kind of, we, we let it all pile up. I remember we had a huge meeting on the whiteboard and we probably had at least a hundred, maybe 125 things on there. And we really cut it down to here's what's most important. Uh, we've got timeouts and huddle up and situate. Like when we are presented with a fringe situation, we, we know what we can do for that as coaches and we can communicate that in, in time. We don't need to be up on the ball ready for anything that could ever be thrown at us. Things that we could do uh, were to make sure that we, we aren't in a bad play and that we take advantage of, of glaringly obvious things that the defense gives us um, and then still be able to run our stuff. <coughs> so we don't vary our snap count. We've got a freeze call where we'll line up and we'll go down and say, hey, and see if they jump. But I <laughs> You know, years and years of we're going to go on one, two, or three, and you go on two, 50% of the time is your guys jumping off. So we would rather get up on the ball. If we are if we want you to jump, we'll freeze, and then we'll we'll signal a play. So we've got some one-word calls that I'll know, okay, we're gambling a little bit here. If we get up and freeze and they don't jump, we're going to be in a pretty basic play for us. So, And that will change year to year. Maybe that's a, a quick game throw. Maybe it's zone right or zone left or something simple. Uh, but we will have those play code words, which are just really, really straightforward and simple for us. So uh, I really like how we, we we put together our communication system with our kids each year, but I don't think we've got uh, time to, to really go over that today. But let's say that um, uh, our, let's say our code words were for zone was the Minnesota Gophers, right? So Minnesota, 
would be zone left and gophers would be zone right. Just like if you wrote it down on a sheet of paper, Minnesota would be the word on the left, gopher would be the word on the right. So if we got up, we said down, said hit, and they didn't jump, our quarterback could just yell, gopher, gopher, and everybody knows that that's zone right. Okay, simple, nothing to, and we go. We are about 50-50, but the 50-50 isn't like, okay, this series we're going to huddle up, next series we're going to get on the ball. Uh, we might huddle up for two or three plays, boom, we hit a big 15-yard play, and we're right, and we want to get right up on the ball uh, after that. We've got some single word, word calls for us. Rodeo means run the, the exact same play. Uh, bingo for us means that we're going to run the same play. Or, I'm sorry, uh, bingo is the play that's called in the opposite direction. So let's say we ran stretch right for 12 yards, and we want to get on the ball, but we want to run stretch. The, the, we don't want to run into the boundary, right? So we want to run the opposite way. We would make a, bing, uh, a rodeo bingo call. And our kids know, okay, we just ran stretch right. Rodeo bingo means same play, opposite direction. Uh, solo for us this last year was a quarterback sneak call. So if we were up under center especially. Um, you know, let's say we want to freeze them. And so we, we may give a freeze call. And we've all seen it where the defense kind of starts to relax. You know, they, they realize we were trying to draw them off sides. They kind of, you know, if I see them sit back a little bit, we might just go solo. And as soon as he says solo, he goes hit and boom, and we, and, and we run a quarterback sneak. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much how that works. If, if we are on the ball, we've got some hand signals that we'll use for both our formations and our, our formations, motions, in the play. Again, I'm not going to call the most complicated play from just getting on the line of scrimmage, right? If I've got a, an eight-word play, that we're probably going to huddle up for that. Or I love taking the eight-word play, and maybe we, we get it together, we call it, you know, alley-oop or something like that. So we, we the kids know that it's this formation, this shift, this motion, this handoff, you know, whatever it could be, but we put it into a single word. So I don't really like to do that. I'd rather get them in the huddle if it's going to be a heavily worded play. All right. <clears throat> We also asked our quarterback to make his reads, and I do have more film coming up here uh, for this. It's made us be very disciplined in practice. We spend time on quarterback uh, reads every day. I've had been blessed to have some athletic managers. Uh, the three girls I had last year play in hockey, rugby, girls basketball, track and field. <laughs> so I could have I could be over there with the quarterbacks and our running backs coach, and have the three girls be the defensive players that we're going to read. And we would just rep our zone, our bash power, our stretch reads. And the idea was we didn't want to have a ton. And a lot of times, so for example, for us, our zone read is the same as our counter read. So for the linemen, you know, they obviously have got different rules for running counter versus we're running zone. But the quarterback is still reading the backside end either way. So we just work on the reading of the backside end in our mesh drill. If he comes up field, we give it. If he, he closes down, we, we pull it. So... Uh, we do this regularly in practice. Uh, we do it a lot, you know, a lot more in the summer, obviously. And in August, we might have a 15-minute uh, re-drill, and then it'll get down to a five-minute. Uh, but we'll do that every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, as we get into the week. I just wanted to kind of become habit for them. In this picture here, uh, this is a stretch read for us here. We're not worried about the number 50 who's playing outside linebacker in this. So as he's coming down, my quarterback's looking at him, who's got the alley because we run a slant on the backside of our stretch. So he should be able to pull it and throw it uh, because the outside linebacker is chasing it and vacating that alley. So we'll stick a, in practice, we'll stick one of the managers out there where the flat defenders or, or where the force defender should be uh, or a safety walk down in the box. And on the snap, they'll either run, you know, with the, with the 
the faker with the, the give, uh, or they'll kind of stay home. And then we'll take our steps and, and make, a, make the decision based on what we see them do. The biggest thing that I teach in this, and, and I know every coach that does read does it, is the quarterback's eyes. You know, the footwork has got to kind of become a habit. We talk a lot with young quarterbacks about doing this in their hallway or doing it in their bedroom or, you know, do it when they go down to eat dinner with their families to work on taking their, their, their proper steps uh, but get their eyes where they should go, right? So if I'm, I'm going to step to the right for Reed, I don't need to look at the running back. i got to get my eyes on, on where I'm trying to go there. So it's been uh, pretty good for us. I think some of the best things we've done in our run game have been uh, our run game, which involves a read uh, from the quarterback. Also, we've got some pre-snap checks. So, again, I don't think this is too much for the quarterback. We teach them to read in the run game. Uh, they read in the pass game, obviously. But this is pretty, pretty simple. Like, when we line up, I want to look to their left, look to their right, do a quick check for the running back, look to their left, and look to their right. And it's almost like you teach your, your kids to cross the street, you know, look both ways, see what's going on. Uh, if there's a balloon deal, and I've got one in here, where they just don't cover a receiver, we don't want to miss that. That's only going to happen once, maybe once a season, but we don't want to miss that. Uh, we also want to make sure our guys are lined up, and I want to make sure they're set. You know, I can't stand penalties where our quarterback's in such a rush that the receiver's not even out to his alignment yet. We're up trying to snap the, the football. Uh, we got some. We talked about bingo a lot. They're just things that we want to do. I already showed you where we switched to a Q stretch. Uh, obviously, we want to trap a three technique. And then, <clears throat> well, how's the outside linebacker playing? Look at these two pictures here. Outside linebacker's down over the slot receiver, which is fine. That's kind of where we, we, we want him to be there. He, this guy can't make a play on a run inside the box unless he's coming back, you know, we've got five or six yards. The picture on the bottom okay, is this, the guy's in at the box here, and their safety's just up over top. We have to be able to throw a bubble here, even if I haven't called it, right? The bubble's got to be completed at, like I said, a 90% clip, so it's just like a run play for us. So. The first question that I have uh, from watching the presentation is, um, so when you're, you're varying your tempo, do you have code words to let the kids know? I mean, I, I know you, you talk about your, your bingo and, you know, all those other kind of words to let kids know where to repeat the play and stuff like that. But are you shouting these things out to your kids on the fly and letting them know, okay, hey, we're going to go tempo for a little bit here? Or how does yeah. that communicate? Yeah, yeah. So we would just yell, uh, rodeo, rodeo, for example. Um, or we've got a hand signal that we'll use to just tell them to get on the ball if we want to get out of being huddled and get on the ball. We don't have to. Uh, it, it's a decent amount of times each year, I should say. It kind of depends on the game. But we're, we'll, we might run you know, two plays huddled up, and then I just want to get on the ball to see how they react. Or especially, like, we've got some coaches who will watch substitutions. If they've got a kid, let's say it's our sixth or seventh play of the drive, and they sub out like they're – top three D linemen, then I might want to get on the ball to make them be a little bit less likely to be able to get their, their dudes back in uh, after a couple of plays off. But yeah, it's usually one word calls or a hand signal to get on the ball, knowing that we're going to signal it in. And when we signal it and when we signal in our stuff, if it's not rodeo, like to just run the same play again, uh, we, we signal it in two shifts. We'll signal our formations and then we don't give them any other information until they're lined up. Okay. Or they're at least moving to where they want to be lined up. Then once they're in that, then we'll give them the motion and the play. And, and that's a max that's, uh, for example, this is our signal for deuce, right? Just simple two. And that, that's all we'll hold up till they're moved to that uh, spot. And then we've got at the most, so if we wanted to run a, uh, like, shoot zone right or something like that, we've got our shoot motion, and then we've got our, our call for zone right. Okay. 
So at most, they're getting two signals at once. The other question I have is if you give, you've given quite a considerable amount of freedom and ownership to your quarterback. So, you know, as a play caller and as an offensive coordinator, how, what kind of training do you have to go through the quarterback to give him that level of trust to, to know, Hey, I'm going to throw the slant behind here on my read, or perhaps I'm going to bingo this and not get, you know, deked by a defensive coordinator who's just starting one way and then they're going to stem at the last second. How do you get to that relationship of trust? Well, you make some mistakes sometimes, you know, and, um, we lost the mounds for you this year because they'd shown a blitz the, or not because, but one of the things they did well is they showed this blitz for the first two weeks that we said, Hey, when they jump in and show us this blitz, you're going to walk up and run quarterback sneak. They basically take their linebackers out of the middle of the field. And I know my D one center can handle the nose and we'll be off to the races. Well, they showed a different blitz three times, all three times. I was, I was playing two quarterbacks at the time both of them checked into this call and it was for like no gain or one yard because they weren't the, the, the backers weren't all outside the, the offensive tackle. Like they were literally standing in B gap. And, and so they messed it up. So please don't take this as we never get it wrong. Right. Uh, but you know, I think a couple things is one, the, the teaching of the reads when the ball is snapped, that's just like teaching, that's just installing your place. And so that's just their positional expectation is, you know, I've got to make the read whether I, I give or I keep. You know, kind of go from there. As far as the checks at the line, the, the way that we teach it is that you kind of break it down. There's the pre-snap stuff. Like, what do we really need to be aware of? Obviously, if nobody's covering a receiver, if they've got seven or eight in the box and nobody's over top of our slot guy, those are things that we should take advantage of. Uh, I don't normally give them, like, free reign with audible. Like, they're not going to switch us from one play to the next. But the nice thing is that they should be able to keep us from getting into a terrible play. Right, like we've called something, and, and it's the defense is totally waiting for it. Uh, most of our runs have got reads on the backside. We usually got a gift route called um, that they can get to and and keep us out of that. And then when it comes to the like the the checks, like the being going to trap the three technique, as we're repping that, so we'll go with their individual time in practice, and then we've got a run game group and a pass game group, and. I don't know, maybe 50% of the run and pass game is just us running our stuff. And the other 50% is, hey, here's the defensive look that we expect to get, whether it's in coverage or in the front. And if they show us this, then this is what we would check to. But I also try to not make it be a guessing game. Like we're going to call the stuff that we think that we know where they're going to line up to, which gives us the advantage. And so they all they really need to do is, you know, make sure that we're if it's totally wrong, that, that we get out of it. The last question I got for you is, I know you talked earlier about your ninth and 10th grade games, making those important, uh, playing those under the lights. How low do you go with this offensive install? So the stuff that you expect the kids to know on varsity, where do you start installing that in terms of your youth program? Well, uh, youth-wise and middle school-wise, my biggest concern is getting good coaches who encourage the kids, make it fun. You know, they, they learn the fundamentals, how to block, how to tackle. Uh, up through middle school and I think our middle school team that, that won their league this year I think they ran um, a version of the double wing you know but they they use our principles they they got the ball to a number of kids they were inside and outside they but they weren't really spread they had two tight ends and two wing backs and but but they philosophically they were there but I don't demand that they absolutely run our system you know one concern I've always had is you know, if I get just this one hour of time with a coach and a youth coach's training or even at a, a lower level coach's training at a middle school or high school level, 
and it's not what they're comfortable with and they try to do it and they do it, it doesn't work. And then they're going to revert back to something else that, that may be not what I want. So uh, they've got a lot of freedom there. As far as in our program, all of our nine through 12, they all get the same playbook. And then it'll be obviously tweaked a little bit for what we do. So my 10th grade quarterback last year, also might be my starter. I have a couple kids that we have about, and maybe they'll, they'll both play sometimes for us. But uh, he's the kid, who, when he's the varsity dude, we should throw it 40 to 50 times a game. He can really spin it. He's smart. Uh, he puts it in nice windows or catchable balls. He makes good decisions. He's quick enough that, you know, for an empty personnel or 10 personnel, he can make people miss. Uh, so, obviously, they were much more into our, our pass game stuff. So, if I really wanted to do a clinic on our on our quick game, I should pull 10th grade film because they probably threw it 15, 20 times a game, and he was a machine at it. Uh, our ninth graders, on the other hand, the, the starting quarterback they had assumed was coming, the kid who started for them uh, coming up, decided to go to a private school. I love the fact that we beat them this year, too, with him over there. But the kid who jumped in and played quarterback and never played quarterback before, he'd been a wide receiver. And so, they were – 95 percent run so if you came to the ninth grade game it'd be over about an hour because they ran the ball the whole time <laughs> stuck around for the 10th grade game you might be there till 9 30 because they threw it 50 times uh but it all all the concepts were based in the playbook and it, keep in mind like when they get to us at the jb varsity level we're going to run the stuff that they're you know better at you know i'm not going to ask my my throwing quarterback to run q power 15 times um and I'm not going to ask the running kid to just to, to spread it out. So they, they're working from our playbook, but it's not super, super strict.